straight to the brain. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 14 of Straight to the Brain, a podcast where I do research on a scientific topic and try to make it more digestible for the masses. Mm. I'm your host, Xavier Fajardo, and sitting next to me is your co-host, Mia Ramos. The one and only crackhead. (laughs) That's me. She's our resident crackhead on the yep. show. I just uh, kind of live in the bathroom under your sink. She doesn't do crack. No, I don't. Do she that. just has the personality of someone who does. Oh, definitely. I'm straight to the crackhead. <laughs> yeah, one day we do hopefully want to maybe get a camera and try to record these and do like videos along It'll with it. It'll make so much more sense. Just because also of your faces. My face like, you make you, ma- you have a very expressive face, and I would say... <laughs> That's about like seventy yeah. percent of your comedy is just like facial expressions. I'm like a puppet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But our <laughs> research topic for today is going to be vampiric lore and the scientific misunderstandings that allowed for it to spread mm-hmm. both geographically and temporally. <laughs> tempora shrimp tempora shrimp tempora yeah i know in the last episode i said that uh i wanted to talk about like consuming blood and uh yeah. blood's rejuvenating properties but i decided to make a little mini sode of that separate from this that'll probably drop around the same time to be totally honest it was just it didn't really go with the whole narrative and it just felt like i was trying to like smash these things together and i'd be like yeah. eh, it'll be fine to have its own little separate mini sode yeah it'll be fun but also, it was, it was also a time constraint. To be I also honest. really like vampires. Yeah. They're really cool. Ooh, I sent you a um, TikTok earlier, actually. It's by this one. I guess it's an illustrator. They always make the same kind of cartoon, but it's always like a different scenario. Yeah. There's like a main character, and this vampire's coming, and it's like super creepy, and it's about to like bite into his neck, and he like stops it with his finger. He's like, uh-uh. And he doesn't talk, so he has like a whiteboard. And what does he say? He's like night vision, and he like asks him like, "Am I gonna get night vision?" And he's like, mm-hmm. "He's like cool hair." He's like, mm-hmm. "He's like garlic," and the vampire kind of looks at him. He's like, "Can I eat garlic bread?" And he's like, Hee-hee. and then he leaves. It's really cute. It's really funny. He's like, "I'm not down." Yeah. It's like I don't care about everlasting Honestly, life if I can't that. have garlic bread. Garlic What's the point? So fucking good. Yeah, I would really give up is. everlasting life for garlic bread and some clogged arteries in a heartbeat. <laughs> but so, okay, so on that topic, before we start... On the topic of clogged arteries. What is your favorite version of the vampire from all the lore in pop culture that you have consumed? So like, what's your favorite take on a vampire? Well, I have two versions okay go ahead there's like the the og vampires but then there's like the twilight version oh you like glitter <laughs> glitter vampires yes the glitter skin i think that's so sick like that's what a rave dream to just have like glitter skin no matter what fuck if you want rave vampires you got to go blade vampires yeah those, and blade they're just always so like raving with like blood sprinklers oh, yeah. going but i would say awesome like, i love wesley snipes <laughs> in, in terms of like og vampire movies and them all having like a similar kind of story and like what the vampire is able to do and all that stuff um like i guess morphing into a bat it's kind of cool and mm. like flying in that way versus like just staying you know what i thought you were form. gonna say like transformation i, I thought you were gonna say underworld vampires I also really like those movies they're so badass yeah they are pretty sweet it's very goth punk i dig it a lot 
I think my they don't they don't um what's up shape shift no they don't shape shift what are they just they're just fast I yeah guess. they're basically they're just, just super fast and strong and live forever they're like black ops yeah that's <laughs> about it <laughs> I always thought though personally super sexy I too. I always loved the lichens from Underworld though like I was always yeah, kind of like they were my favorite yeah I love vampires yeah because I love the idea of you being able to control your transformation yeah it was also more about their like liberation story well that is what's interesting though because that was what was different about underworld was that their lichens their lycanthropes were able to turn back and forth at will and you're like oh that's an interesting take because it's usually a curse but when they do the prequel movie it shows how it literally was like evolution Uh like they weren't always able to go back and forth that one guy whose name I'm blinking on actually was special the two brothers. and was like the next level, the next step in evolution. Yeah. One of the guy who's like still fucked up about the love of his life. Wasn't he the first one who was able to turn back and forth? I thought you're talking about the main character, the main guy. Yeah. The main guy. Um, because remember they were like half and half. Yeah. So he didn't, he didn't even really turn into like a lichen. He had like, like this black skin and like blacked out eyes and stuff. oh no 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 no! i'm talking about the dude with long hair the guy who's the main guy from the prequel oh the was one it... who literally comes out in twilight well that's what i'm saying though <laughs> isn't he like the next step and like the he, like in evolution I because he so. was able to turn wow we gotta rewatch back and movies. forth I'm really that blanking. would actually be really fun because it's halloween fun. we might do that yeah, I, i'm always down for those movies they're so good personally but... my favorite vampire movie yeah. though and i think you're not going to be surprised when i say what this the lost boys <laughs> I love the Lost Boys so much. I need to rewatch I love it. That, like, I don't know why I don't. I love that glam rock vampire yeah. aesthetic. It was very like, I, no one understands me. I'm a vampire. Well, that like, was good. Yeah, the, the Lost Boys, the yeah. misunderstood generation. The, they just seem kind of whiny. I think maybe that's why I didn't like it as much. But I gotta rewatch it. I gotta rewatch it. We've been on '80s horror kick recently. I just always love where it's just the like, mix. what were we worms, just watching? Worms, Michael. You're eating worms. <laughs> What was the camp movie? We were watching, uh, we were in the middle of Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, the acting's kind of iffy, but we can't tell if it's supposed to, like, mean something. Yeah, like, if it's symbolic. Well, because the bad acting really only pertains to the the adults thus far. Really just the mom. I think the mom just sucked. Because the other adults aren't that bad. I think, I don't know, it might have meant something. But that was also kind of what we were talking about, about how... That I, I wish I would have experienced it, but it seems to have been more of a thing back then where it was mm-hmm. just like, school's over, parents still have to work. <laughs> Get we, the fuck out. <laughs> exactly. It's like, we can't just let you be running around all day long, uh-huh. and I'm not going to stay home to watch you, so we're just going to send you to camp for the summer. I was sent And to I think like that might have been why the mom was yeah. kind of like, that's why she seemed very like aloof and kind of like, uh, is because it is supposed to be kind of maybe... I might be reading into it too much, symbolic. but symbolic of like fuck these kids, like send them to camp. Th- that's but I thought I think that would have been fun. I wish I would have done that. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like a lot could have gone wrong with that, especially in the eighties. I feel like that's how that a lot of people guy. discovered their sexuality. It's probably yeah, at summer camp. Maybe it's where you touched your first boob. Ew. <laughs> You're a singular boob. Just one. It was a uniboob. Over the shirt. Poor girl. Of course. Over the shirt. Over the training bra. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fucking Bender <laughs> from the Breakfast Club. Over the shirt, under the bat. <laughs> I hate that scene so much. He's kind of cringy, yeah. He really is. Here's my diamond earring for you to remember me. He's like, I'm going to hawk this for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so this episode, uh, this episode is gonna be a lot of history. So I hope people can humor me on that, especially you, Mia. I know you hate when I just go on big history binges, but I love history. Mm, when you make it dramatic, it sounds cool. Like it's like you're like telling me all the hot goss. I yeah, we'll see, we'll yeah. we'll see if you enjoy this. All right, bet. While Bram Stoker solidified the mythos of the vampire as the bloodthirsty, sensual monster we all know and love today. The myth of the vampire had long existed in humanity's collective consciousness for time in memoriam. But let's talk about the vampire myth we're probably all more familiar with. Dracula was published in 1897, and even though it had never been explicitly revealed by Stoker himself, it does appear that he took large amounts of inspiration from Vlad Tepish, better known as Vlad the Impaler in the West and his father, Vlad Dracul. In fact, Dracula literally means son of Dracul, which would have been Vlad the Impaler's descriptive name. So like if you really? were Yeah, so like if you were to like be at like a ball or something, you know how they like always announce the names, it yeah. would be like it, it would be like son of Dracul, like Dracula. And so that's what Dracula means is son of Dracul. Just adding the A at the end. <laughs> Technically, it means in association with, but uh, like it's okay. understood because it's Vlad and it's the same name. Like it's son of Dracul. That's cool. All right. And Dracul is derived from the old Romanian word for dragon, Drake. That's so dope. Drake and Josh. You imagine. Oh, my God. I love <laughs> that show. But yeah, so that's <gasps> where that's where Dracul so awesome. comes from is the word for dragon. Okay, badass. The father, Vlad II, actually earned the surname Dracul after being inducted into the knightly order of the dragon, which had been tasked to defeat the encroaching Ottoman Empire by the then-king Sigismund of Hungary, who would later become the Holy Roman Emperor. The Vlads ruled over Wallachia, which is a region in Romania, and Wallachia was sort of the gatekeeper to further Ottoman expansion, so it was the site of many bloody battles. Damn, that's really dope. You hear a lot about, like, I guess, in terms of, like, empires back then. Yeah. Uh, like the Chinese one, or the, the, the more, like, the Romans and the Greeks and stuff, but you never really hear about, like, Romania and... Yeah, and it actually was area. super important. Like, this whole knightly order was established... Just to like stop yeah. the Ottomans at Romania. That's sick. Could you imagine if that was another um characteristic of vampires was like breathing fire? Yeah, being associated that with would dragons. Be sick as fuck. That'd be dope. They like gold, just leprechaun <laughs> dragons. Well, in a little bit, we'll actually get to why that's not an association with okay. vampires. Yeah, but. So, after a bunch of crazy bullshit, like <laughs> Vlad III and his brother, and by the way, so Vlad the Impaler is Vlad III, and his father is Vlad II. His brother, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know his brother's name. It's not important. Aww. So, Vlad III and his brother were left behind as prisoners after a deal went bad between their father and the Ottomans, but they were treated pretty well. Mm -hmm. That was kind of the thing back then, where it's like, you may be captured, but if you were like, of royal blood, you were still treated pretty well by your captors. It was just more like in their self-interest to like keep you alive. alive and well because it's like, well, you maybe at money. the end of this, 
either money or marriage so that like you get to control other parts of the country and shit like that wow that'd be the gag of it all if you were like well, we can keep him we can keep him alive we, he, he can marry the daughter and then we could have like a royal wedding it'd be great yeah exactly and then at the altar he just slits her throat and, and then it becomes away. the red wedding whoa that dun, was dun. so sad that was a really good episode holy shit during this time vlad the second was also killed and replaced and Vlad III was struggling to reclaim Wallachia for his family, which involved a bunch of war and betrayal. He actually uh, worked with the Ottomans to get his throne back. Mm. And then in the end, he ended up betraying them. Oh. So he did actually, that, that was how well the Ottomans actually treated him while he was their prisoner, was that he actually trusted them enough to help him reclaim Wallachia. Who's he replaced by? Who's replaced by Jim? <laughs> Okay, so the father, are you asking who he was replaced by? Yeah. So the father was killed and then replaced by an aristocrat. Ew. <laughs> Someone who hasn't seen war. I don't know how he speak. <laughs> Just but after there. all of this, Vlad III finally becomes ruler of Wallachia. Wow. To consolidate his power and make sure no one tried to fuck with him, Vlad III devised a plan to kill members of the aristocracy that had long feuded with the Vlads and did not support Vlad III's claim. Yeah, he's rich. <laughs> According to legend, Vlad III invited members of the aristocracy to a banquet where he then had them impaled on spikes. Whoa. Oh my god. <laughs> and at this point, he is now <gasps> Vlad the Impaler. And this method of execution continued to be his go-to throughout the years. Mm. Eventually, rumors spread that he would dine whilst watching the men die on the stake and dip his food in the blood. I wonder if that's true. Yeah, if he so was that's like the nuts thing. or if they were just like, So he no, did man. he did stake people, like that yeah. was a thing, but it, it's kind of rumor that he feed on their blood. Maybe he just had like a sauce that he liked to use that looked like blood. And so just people A1 were like, steak oh, sauce. Shit, it looked like blood. Yeah. <laughs> but so this is a wood cutout from 1499 depicting wow. Vlad the Impaler dining amongst his impaled victims. And that one kid's head just under the table. <laughs> <laughs> However, Vlad died in 1476. So this was created sometime after his death. Mm. So it's not like it happened and then somebody made this yeah. wood cut out. Like this is a little after, but it's fresh enough to where like it's probably not too much of an exaggeration. Yeah. Yeah. I hope he had a beard like that. But he was known for being pretty brutal all in all. I believed uh, he like was a shit guy. Just well, hated he, the world. Well, the one that really bothered me just because it's like, hey, like that's religion was I believe they were Sikhs or they were they were from India and they wore turbans and they refused to take their turbans off in his presence, which, you know, usually like you take your hat yeah. off as a sign of respect. Mm -hmm. Well, because it's part of their religion, like they keep their turbans on. And so they were like, no, we're not taking our turbans off. And he was like, fine, you'll never take them off then. And so he had them, the turbans nailed onto their head. Oh, my God. That's terrible. Yeah, so he's an asshole. Wow. He just wanted power. Got it. Power hungry. Whilst these gruesome acts and rumors hearken our modern understanding of Dracula, it is believed that Stoker was not aware of Vlad III's bloody legacy. Apparently... Stoker had been reading a historical book on Wallachia, which did not mention the acts of Vlad III, and was simply stricken by the name Dracula. Hmm. 
Okay. So it just used his little yes. name. Okay. So to his understanding, at the time, Dracul in modern Romanian meant devil. So to him, Dracula meant one in association with the devil. So that's why it probably oh, like didn't get the name. dragon part. Oh, yeah, yeah, Was yeah, because yeah, yeah. in modern Romanian, Dracul had become devil and not it dragon. wasn't associated with dragon, dragon. anymore. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, wow. That, oh, that sucks. Because uh, he just thinks that he made a deal with the devil then. Yeah, so yeah, so it's just basically like you're evil, like you're wicked. Like you're Dracula, your you're in association the with the devil. Mm, okay. Yeah, so he essentially took a kick-ass name he liked and mixed it with European lore of vampire-like creatures. Many contend that he may have drawn inspiration from the Irish legend of the Arbhatok. Arbhatark? <laughs> A-B-H-A-R-T-A-C-H. Arbhatok? Arbatok? That makes Maybe. sense. Maybe. We're butchering it, I'm sure. Yeah, so they believe that he took some inspiration from uh, this Irish legend, which was an undead blood-sucking dwarf, Whoa. since Stoker himself was an Irishman. He was from Ireland. So he took a little bit of that, a little bit of the new name meaning, and created his own thing. Yeah, so, and according to historians, he actually had um, book notes that he had when he was writing Dracula and... Nowhere does he mention, like, Vlad the Impaler's, like, gruesome acts and, like, drinking blood. Like, he doesn't mention any of that in his notes. He literally just liked the name. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. So, like, and, like, based on the book that he mentions that he did get notes from, mm -hmm. which was on Wallachia and the Vlads, it, again, that book doesn't mention all of the, like, gruesome rumors about Vlad the Impaler. Do you think he did research on him enough to know all the shit that he did? He just liked the name. Well, that's what the, <laughs> that's what people are saying is because he does have book notes where he shows like all of his inspirations and like the like essentially like build up to his story. And so yeah, it's a coincidence. Damn. At least according wow. to historians, like uh, obviously maybe he didn't it write was, it down, but if it was a coincidence, that's one hot coincidence. A man that likes to impale people and drink people's blood, and then you use fucking Irish legend of little men that like to drink people's blood, right? Is that what they they like to suck on the blood of the undead? Yeah. So they believe that's he took crazy. some inspiration from this Irish lore, uh, and he did get a lot from Eastern Europe and especially Slavic lore because there is a lot of Slavic lore and Eastern European lore, which includes Romania, about uh, undead figures that steal life from the living. Yeah, th they don't necessarily <laughs> use the explicit word vampire, but mm -hmm. like when you look at all of what they do, you're like, that's a vampire. So when did that turn? Did you talk about when that term came to so life? So the 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 actual word vampire doesn't really come around or at least be commonplace until the 18th century. Okay. From what I have seen. Interesting. Now, none of that had shit to do with science. But what is a blood-sucking episode without a little backstory on Vlad the Impaler and Count Dracula? Yeah, the man himself. The OG. <laughs> While these two figures, one historical and one fictional, have greatly shaped our modern image of the vampire, the historical view of vampires was greatly shaped by disease, namely tuberculosis and the bubonic plague, among others, and people's lack of knowledge about the decomposition process. This is where we can weave science into the lore of the vampire 
or at least the Western European take on the vampire, which ultimately became our pop culture vampire. Edward Cullen. Yeah, because there's a lot of lore in the Middle East, Mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to, like, uh, gin and stuff like that. And, like, um, in Asian cultures, there's also a lot of lore of, like, things that steal life or undead things that steal life. Uh But it's not as... um, influential on like what we kind of see in pop culture vampires yeah no that that, yeah that makes sense when you were saying bubonic plague though that made me think about next halloween if we are able to go out and stuff that'd be cool to do like the whole oh a plague doctor mask yeah to like give ode to covid (laughs) also (laughs) but it'd just be kind of cool to have a whole like the whole suit kind of situation oh there's actually this one guy I and know, the, and uh, body dress thing. He he went to UTSA. I never That's spoke to him spot. at UTSA, but I always see him come by my work. And real sweet guy, goth as fuck, and he always looks like he's from the Matrix. And one time <laughs> I was talking to him because he had this really gnarly like leather garb on, uh-huh. and I was like, bro, that outfit's super cool. I was like, so like, where it, did you get it? Well, I was like, so are you wearing it for something, or is that just like how you like to dress? And he was like, well, actually, this is part of my plague doctor costume. Oh, fun! And he's like, I'm just not wearing the mask right now. That's cool. But he was like, yeah, it's something I already had, and I I thought it'd be funny to wear during the pandemic. Oh yeah, that's hilarious. Which I, I, I would have hilarious. I would have loved if he showed up with the mask, but I can totally see where people might freak out if you try to walk into nah, a store with a plague it. doctor Who mask. Cares? That'd be great. That because it's still a mask. Yeah, seriously, because <laughs> people walk into my store fucking open carrying, so yeah. if he can't come in wearing a Plague Doctor mask. I saw that the other day. A guy had, like, one on each thigh, and then he had, like, the holster situation. I'm like, why? Why? Because you're ma- getting bananas. I had to get after a dude for open carrying because he tried to not pay, and I had to go fucking get him and talk shit. Like, hey, pay for your shit, boy. Yeah. <laughs> and he, I'll shoot you. He, he pulled the whole, like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I'm like, fuck you, go pay. Get out of here. I'm the sheriff in these bars. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is my self-checkout. <laughs> Fuck. So to start, let's talk about decomposition. Decomposition is a natural process which occurs minutes after death. Oh, yeah. As the cells in your body are deprived of oxygen, CO2 levels increase, Mm -hmm. causing a decrease in pH. So that means it gets more acidic. Because as pH goes down, things are more acidic. Like a lemon. As waste products accumulate, your cells are poisoned. With cells not functioning, unchecked cellular enzymes start to dissolve cells from the inside out, causing them to rupture and release nutrient-rich fluids. This process progresses more rapidly in tissues with high enzyme content, like the liver, and high water content, like the brain. That will be important later when we start to talk about vampires, but this breakdown by our own enzymes will eventually affect the whole body. This part of decomposition is referred to as autolysis, so like literally like Mm self-tearing. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) which does not become visually apparent until after a few days after death. Autolysis becomes outwardly visible when fluid-filled blisters start to form on the skin, causing large sheets of skin to slough off. Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, (laughs) the blood will start to settle, causing discoloration of the skin, and cellular cytoplasm has gelled due to increased acidity, 
causing rigor mortis or stiffening. Like bored. And so that's why you stiffen is because the increased acidity is literally turning your cellular cytoplasm into like gel. Oh, god damn. God damn. Once enough cells have oh. ruptured and released their nutrient-rich contents, putrefaction can start. <laughs> putrefaction is the digestion of soft tissues by microorganisms like bacteria, fungi, and protozoa. This is when the commensal bacteria you've been pampering with probiotics turn on you. Dun, dun. <laughs> like when a cat eats your face if you have the audacity to die around it. Yeah, so it stays alive. You are the meal. Hey, you're not doing anything with your face. <laughs> it needs it more than you do. Many microorganisms produce gases as a byproduct of catabolizing nutrients, and these gases will build up in the body, causing bloating. And you shit yourself. <laughs> as gas and fluids accumulate, they will typically be purged through our various orifices. Mm -hmm. Like your rectum. <laughs> But buildup can be severe enough to cause tears in the skin. And so that's actually a really big problem when uh, determining cause of death post-mortem, especially like if somebody is left in the woods or something after being murdered, mm -hmm. is during the natural decomposition process, you can actually get tears in the skin from gas being released. And it'll look almost as if you were like stabbed multiple times. And so it's important for people to study decomposition science to understand like what's normal what was when they were still alive? What occurred post-mortem and yeah. such? Wow, you painted the most vivid picture just now. It's Halloween! <laughs> <laughs> Microorganisms will continue to break down your muscle and fat stores, producing volatile byproducts that will further contribute to the breakdown of your body until your bones. Yeah, you guys bones. Just skeleton. However, this process can be accelerated or stunted depending on the weather conditions. If you're left on the jungle floor where it's hot and humid, you'll be mush in a week. <laughs> However, if it's dry and freezing, this process will be dramatically slowed down. Even being buried can slow down the decomposition process because it can be significantly colder six feet underground. Unless it's like a lot of fucking bugs around you, huh? And they True. Grub on you. Mm. <laughs> Dinner. <laughs> now, just from that quick rundown of decomposition, mm -hmm. you can see that there is a lot of science that goes into truly understanding the process. Microbes were first identified in 1665, but germ theory was not widely accepted until the 1890s. And to this day, we're still learning about the microorganisms that naturally exist within us, outnumbering our own cells. But to this day, we still have people who don't believe in vaccines, so I can't imagine how many people didn't believe <laughs> that organisms invisible to the human eye existed, let alone cause disease. Vaccinate your fucking kids. <laughs> It's also important to keep in mind that information moves at a snail's pace during these periods, so even though microbes were identified at the Royal Institute in London in 1665, odds are not a lot of people heard about it or cared. So much. Could you imagine how much more we'd know and possibly understand if things were, like, jump-started a good 200 years prior? What do you mean? Like, if they accepted it then versus... Oh, yeah. 
like how, where we would be now. Yeah, if they were science. able to like really like spread it out, or if people's minds were just more open to the idea of like science, it's okay, trust it. Here are the facts. Well, unfortunately, a lot of religion and churches, like not to bash religion too much, but I mean, they did like actively try to suppress science. So if they didn't, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be sweet. Maybe we'd have real life vampires. Maybe we would have made them. Dun dun. Maybe that's the next step in human evolution. Vampires. <laughs> hey, that's the, they want to download consciousness and make like the. Fuck yeah! I can't wait till I can download my consciousness. I don't know if I'm, I'm waiting live for the singularity. Forever. I'd rather be one with the universe there's just so many things i want to know and learn and know i can never do it in a single lifetime there's just like that's what i love about the pursuit of knowledge it's literally infinite i just don't like the earth that much (laughs) i'd rather go to like space i mean that would be more possible post singularity because it's like there's no way the human body can travel through space like that i don't want to travel i just want to go up there and be like oh cool and then come back (laughs) (laughs) yeah commercial space travel should be coming to us in the next like couple decades but you'll see me on there now take yourself further back before 1665 when no one knew that microorganisms existed at that point people are just doing what they do best they are observing disease and decomposition taking note of the physical phenomena they see with the human eye and then filling in the gaps with folklore and superstition. (laughs) This goes back to last episode when we talked about the Greco-Roman belief of vital spirits in the air. They had no possible means of understanding atmospheric chemistry or how it works within the body. They just knew that air gave you life and that without it, you die. Therefore, there must be vital spirits within the air which give life to our bodies. So before you even know what microbes are, how could you possibly explain infectious diseases other than with superstition and folklore? Yeah, that's true. You explain with what you know. Oh, I can't imagine how fucking terrifying that is to just be like, why'd he die? Like, I can't believe the the different stories they came up with just to try to figure out. Yeah, just to explain things away. <laughs> they got fucking cut up. It's like, it's probably serial killer or something. It was werewolf. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's all. I I can't wait till one day. I'll probably do it for next Halloween. That would have just taken a lot of research. But I am obsessed with the idea of human beings too scared to accept that we are part of the animal kingdom and wanting to explain away our animalistic instincts. And typically by using folklore where it's like chimeric humans mixed with animals. And so a lot of the time it was like they couldn't fathom that somebody could be so evil and ferocious that they would be a serial killer it's like they must be a werewolf or like same way they can never imagine that you're just an alcoholic fuck monster you must be a satyr a follower of dionysus the god of wine like it was just it was always like these weird like Mm -hmm. they would always attribute things that they didn't want to associate with humanity with like animalistic characteristics and so i've I've always been very fascinated with that no yeah we are the most dangerous psychological creatures on this planet dun dun we are fucked (laughs) <laughs> for sure there's some people that will do horrid shit to you and seriously they would not blink an eye they wouldn't bat an eye about it they'd be like huh this is fun <laughs> so be careful guys be careful out there be careful this halloween So this frantic attempt to explain natural phenomena becomes even more prolific during times of great fear for example a tsunami destroyed our city. We must have upset Poseidon. Oh my god, could you imagine? 
you're just like going throughout your day and you look up and you notice something weird and you're like hmm and the the clouds are just like like dissipating and it's just a giant wave and you're like like, i gotta go (laughs) i gotta get up i gotta go up yeah and i i honestly like i always felt like uh like paganism especially when like Mm -hmm. there's a god for every element and a god for like everything i always thought that made so much more sense in my head and i remember well no just the idea of like everything has a god like i don't know for some reason that always made more sense to me than like monotheism where it's like it's one dude who did all of it it always made more sense to me where it was just like yeah i don't know that just always made more sense in my head the god of television (laughs) yes television god but so likewise a pandemic is ravaging our population there must be a supernatural bad actor or we must have angered God once again, which that was very common during what we're about to talk about, where the Roman Catholic Church was like, hey, y'all need to start praying, and all you atheists and pagans need to stop, because you're causing this. You're making him mad. <laughs> you get upset. It's killing us all. <laughs> so that last comment brings us to our next discussion topic, the bubonic plague, also okay. known as the Black Death which was a period between 1346 and 1353. That's not a real time. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. That's not a real what time. is time anymore? I don't know. I think about it and I'm like even like the early 1900s which we still have people that were around in that time that were born and grew up early in that time, not as much, but you know, we have a good population still. And I still can't fathom, like, what that time was like. Like, watching, like, old TV shows and stuff where they were portraying, like, the 1940s or the 50s, but it was, like, the 80s maybe. It just seems like make-believe almost. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine growing up in a time where it was, like, just the radio to now you have a smartphone. Yeah. Like, that must be so upsetting to the human mind. Even having a smartphone. I remember seeing the first, like, my first smartphone, like, touchscreen, a woman with an iPhone, and she was at, we were at Walmart. And she was typing in that, and I was like, "Whoa, whoa!" It was like the early. It's 2000s. the future. <laughs> and now we all. The have future like, is now, thanks to science. Yeah, now we all have one, and no matter where you are, everybody has one in their hand because it's like your way of navigation, your way of making sure you're not going to get lost. Like if you get taken or something, they can find you. Your GPS location. Uh, what else? It's your phone. It's Google. Where should I eat? It literally, it's everything. Yeah, no, that that blows my mind also, like, the trust you just have to have in humanity, and especially, like, if you're a parent, like, for your Mm -hmm. children, to be like, I can't contact you. Like, I'm going to drop you off at the mall, and it's like, I can't call you, I can't text you, I can't check your location. It's like, fuck, like, that's crazy to just not know where someone you love is and not be able to get in touch with them if something were to anywhere. happen. Yeah, my mom wouldn't really let me go anywhere because of that reason. But we lived in Florida, and there my were a lot of sex gave me a phone. there. So. Yeah. Well, my, my father was the one that gave me my first phone, and then my mom would use it to like call me and stuff. But phones could also be not a great gateway for children just because oh, I'm there's like, a lot of porn I, on the internet. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm very adamant about, like, because I'm not even that big into tech to be completely honest and so i'm like yeah like i don't know how i feel about a developing mind having a smartphone it's like i totally want you to have a phone but but it's also weird though too because it's like i don't want you to be the weird kid everyone makes fun of just because like i don't trust you with a smartphone so i think it's just about like raising them properly and teaching them like hey like 
this is a tool, and like any tool, there's a right way to use it and a wrong way to use it. So don't look up weird bonded porn. Well, you could also until um, you're 13. You could <laughs> you could also put like restrictions. That's a good on point certain as apps, well. So you can make make it like baby phone. <laughs> but then I also feel like, <laughs> like I, I I'm gonna feel like my household is just like this fascist dystopia where I censor everything. Can't look, you can't look at this. You can look well. Ju- obviously, you just put a cap on like the bad stuff. Well, I mean, you could still look up bad stuff on any kind of app. Fuck. You know what? I Parenting's think gonna be weird. I'm just gonna raise I, dogs. Well, that's what I was gonna say too. I was like, you know what? Never mind. I'm just not gonna have a I'm kid. Gonna, yeah. Sounds like way too much work. Sounds like a lot. I have a cat. It's about all I can handle. <laughs> so as we cover different infectious diseases and how they contribute it to vampire lore, I do want everyone to keep in mind the decomposition process. Mm-hmm. That will continue to come up and be important to the lore as a whole. Okay, cool. Okay. During the period of Black Death, it is estimated that 50 to 60% of the population of Europe was killed by bubonic plague. Oh my god, just half of them. (laughs) Bubonic plague is caused by the gram-negative bacteria Yersinia pestis, but we will be abbreviating that Y-pestis. And so here is an image of the gram stain. Mm-hmm. As you can see, they are rod in shape. But it's yes. also like, I know this image until we eventually do a bacteriology episode, which I can't wait to do that. Oh, yeah, but I know this image isn't going to mean a lot to people. But I, what I do want you to like really consider, though, as you look at this image, pink. <laughs> is just how small and simple they seem. Yeah. And then just consider how that decimated Europe's population. That's why I love microbiology Same, so much. Is because, because the little things matter. Oh, definitely. It, it, and that's with everything, not necessarily just bacteria. That's why I think about, like, the domino effect. You know, one thing can cause something huge. Like, you really just gotta... Yeah, I love the concept of, like, every small thing, especially within the body, because, like, I love immunology. And so it's, like, all these tiny things that come together that Mm -hmm. allow for you to ward off infection. And then if you talk about cell biology, it's, like, all these little things that come together that make Mia, that makes your personality and all the things you do, it starts at the cellular level, and that's super cool to me. Mm -hmm. It's important. You stand in front of a microwave too long. You're going to get cancer. (laughs) It's a little things that count. <laughs> so why pestis is most common in rodents and in fact is primarily a rodent pathogen, but it can be transferred to other mammals by way of infectant rodent fleas. Ratatouille, we're looking at you, bitch. Remy. Oh man, I love rats though. Yeah. One of the best pets I've ever had I've was a rat. I've never had one, but I've seen a lot of videos and I hear a lot of good things from you, so I'd be willing to meet one. <laughs> I'd be willing to meet a rat. <laughs> Hello, gentlemen. <laughs> so a flea can feed on an infected rat and then infect a human with the bacterium if they are the flea's next blood meal. Once a human has become infected, they too can become a vector of the plague. Once the bacteria is transferred to a human via flea bite, resident leukocytes act on the bacteria. It has been shown that neutrophils can kill Y. pestis via respiratory burst check out our innate immunity series to learn more about that Mm -hmm. but the bacteria can survive and proliferate 
within the phagolysosome of macrophages. And so uh, in our immunity series, we talk about how neutrophils, they don't just phagocytize something and then bind it with a lysosome. They do what's called a respiratory verse, which is essentially just like biochemical warfare to the point in which the neutrophil also dies, but it's like total destruction. And so that will kill Y. pestis. But that also well, comes at a price. Yeah, but macrophages, they rely on mostly to kill pathogens, phagocytosis, and then fusion with the phagosome, with the lysosome to dissolve it. But why pestis has evolved a way to actually survive within the phagolysosome and proliferate within it. Dun dun. <laughs> Scary shit, man. Scary shit. So our own immune cells are essentially harboring this bacteria, allowing it to grow in both strength and number. While replicating within the macrophage, Y. pestis will start to express different surface proteins which prevent it from being phagocytized by other leukocytes. The newly cloaked bacteria can then attack other cells by using what is referred to as a type 3 secretion pathway, which is essentially the injection of a needle-like projection into other cells. It wipes the cells. <laughs> using this needle-like structure, the bacteria can inject various toxin into the cell, thereby killing it. Oh my god, it's like a serial killer that comes with like a dun, fucking dun, like dun. injected an injected? No. A needle syringe injection and yeah. just gets you in the neck and it's like ha ha and runs It's away. a little redundant <laughs> needle syringe. Yep, a needle <laughs> syringe. <laughs> you heard me. You heard me right. <laughs> so good I said it twice. Yep. She just wanted to show off her vocabulary, be like, I can say it in different ways. Needle instrument. So Y. pestis will quickly make its way to the draining lymph nodes, which will become swollen, hot, tender, and hemorrhagic. Mmm, hot and tender. Sounds like nuggies. Mmm, <laughs> chicken nuggies. This leads to the formation of the characteristic black boobos. Black boobo baggins. That's what they're called. They're called. That's like actually black what boobos? they're called. Yeah, B-U-B-O-E-S. Would you say boobos? Yeah. Right. So this leads to the formation of the characteristic black boobos associated <laughs> with bubonic plague. But a black boobo, if I'm saying that correctly, yeah, is essentially just a very swollen lymph node. It's and a, so here like is an sack. image of somebody oh. where his lymph node is so swollen that it looks like half a baseball is like projecting out from his side. But that's actually not the worst I've seen because... The, like I, they become hemorrhagic, and so it can actually become so swollen that they start to bleed and become like purple. Ooh. So and just so imagine that happens all over your body, or only your in the lymph areas nodes. So, so te- kind of then. Yeah. Right? Well, we're gonna talk about what happens to the rest so of your more body, like the neck and like the armpit area, and yeah. probably around the breast, the groin, some women and stuff like that. Oh man, it's terrible. It's like a big old pimple. The incubation time for this stage of plague is two to six days. Other symptoms include high fever and low blood pressure, which may lead to shock, convulsions, and eventual death. However, many patients also develop septicemic plague once the bacteria enters the bloodstream. This leads to infection of the liver, spleen, and lungs. Once the lungs have been infected, the patient develops pneumonic plague, fuck now, bitch. allowing them to infect others by coughing up viable bacteria. Ooh. The blood infection 
causes tissues to die and turn black, hence the Black Death. And so here is a person who has actually lost his nose because it's died. (laughs) And his fingers and wrists are also starting to turn black and fall off. How many other infections cause, like, tissue damage like that? That's bacterial, obviously. Like, because if you're in, like, cold temperatures, you get, like... Frostbite? Yeah, and there's stuff, but that's not, like, a bacterial thing. Yeah, no, it's just the cold literally killing your tissue. Yeah, I feel like this one's so infamous, but obviously now if you get it, which is still possible... So, yeah, so it is still 100% possible to contract contract the plague. If you don't play with squirrels, I don't care how (laughs) cute they are. They are a rodent, and they have rodent fleas, and a lot and of the time the those will carry bubonic have, plague. Yeah, and exactly. so that's actually the most common way for people here in the United States where we're recording in. from to get bubonic plague is actually from interacting with squirrels. Um, but yeah, uh, if you get immediate attention, uh, you can actually Fight it off. be treated with uh, antibiotics. Okay, there you go. So that's bubonic plague, though. Uh, so if it de- if it develops into septicemic plague where it gets in your then bloodstream, you're, you're you're pretty much fucked. That's it. Kill me then. Kill me now. Yeah. So <laughs> if if it gets to the points where your fingers are turning black, like you're probably fucked. If it gets to the point where you look like a skeleton and your nose has fallen off, then I'm sorry, but you should kill yourself. <laughs> Honestly, I'd rather kill myself. I'd rather like, but like safely. You know how you can like yeah. get like injection. I'd probably do that rather than like rot away. That sounds terrible. Seriously. This poor man. Okay, so we were talking about treatment and how today bubonic plague is treatable with antibiotics, but let's Uh go back to when the Black Death was occurring in the 1300s. Yeah, they didn't have that shit. And so untreated, Mm -hmm. if it stayed within the bubonic phase, it was a 50 to 70% chance of death. Ooh. If you develop septicemic plague, it was a 100% chance of death. Did it talk about how... You could make it if it was just the bubonic, like what maybe about their immune systems allowed them to bounce back. I didn't really look maybe into like that too thing. much. Well, That'd so, be cool, though. If they well, like a, a lot of it of is, though, also depending on the time in which you were infected. We kind of touch on it a little later, hmm. but obviously it's very common for different pathogens to evolve toward the way of being less pathogenic because the more pathogenic you are you're literally just killing off your food supply and so it's more advantageous for things to slowly evolve to be less pathogenic so you think it just had to do with that genetic partially that but also yeah definitely your health people some people are gonna have stronger immune systems than others that's how it's always gonna be if you have a pre-existing conditions of course Wow, 50 to 70%. I thought it would have been higher. Well, if you develop septicemic, no, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for the bubonic part, I thought maybe it would be yeah. like, more well, like yeah, it star- it's When you get bit by the flea, it starts as bubonic, and then it progresses to septicemic and pneumonic. Okay. So imagine people are centuries away from knowing what microbes are and further away from knowing that they cause disease, and your friends neighbors and loved ones are turning black and dying Uh, yeah that sounds terrible in response people naturally blamed the supernatural while vampiric lore had already existed in the balkans and eastern europe this superstition spread and became more prevalent across europe as a result of the plague so 
if you were living in that time, mm-hmm. right? And it was going crazy, running rampant through the cities. But say you were, because I know, I, I was watching something on History Channel once about the bubonic plague. And they were talking about certain, I guess, like small towns on the outskirts of like larger cities mm-hmm. that were like green zones. They called it something else, but I, I'm going to call it that. Where they, they were, were, yeah. Well, so, so that was actually the thing is it was more prevalent in large cities yeah. where people were very cluttered. And that was like a common thing where people would move out to more rural areas and get away from Stay the away. cities because they noticed that like they had a less chance of getting sick. Yeah, if you just weren't if you didn't get bit by a flea or you weren't around people yeah. that were coughing, you were good. But if say you were in that area where everything was fine, but all your like friends and neighbors and stuff were dying of it, what do you think that you would have thought it was? I mean Say you were there, say you there, were religious, there, right? There, Everybody was religious. If 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 I you believed okay, in lore, what, if what, I, what would you think? I would have probably thought it was a curse from God. So you would have thought curse from God, not a vampire or anything? Um yeah. Probably not a <laughs> A little va- bit of both. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of both. Like it's so it wasn't Would you have gone on the hunt? <laughs> it wasn't a hundred percent across the board that everybody was like vampires, but like that was kind this is kind of where that lore starts to really spread across Europe. Mm-hmm. Because the vampire lore and vampiric type lore, like I said, existed within the Balkans and Eastern Europe, but it was more of like a rural thing. Like it was very small communities yeah. were the ones who kind of more believed in it. But because everybody's just afraid and doesn't understand what's happening. And at this time, like trade is starting to become more common. People are traveling more, which is where they believe the bubonic plague the came from is they believe the bubonic plague actually came from the Silk Road. They believe mm-hmm. it was Asian rats that actually brought the plague. They jump on a board and came on over. <laughs> and because, yeah, because we lived in such dirty conditions and there was just rats everywhere. Yeah. Eventually the rats died and the fleas still needed a blood meal. So I they started know, humping on humans. They started humping the humans. Hopping on humans. <laughs> they started humping and bumping on humans. And that's where the black plague came from. All right. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for telling me. You're welcome. You know? Yeah, there were some scientific there were there were thought. some scientific minds who were really trying to understand See, I it. I feel like you would have been one of those people. I would hope so. I would hope I'd still have the inquisitive mind I have during this time. But yeah, so that's like the whole deal with the plague doctor mask and why it's the whole bird beak and stuff is like because what they thought and they were kind of on the right track in a way, tangentially, but they thought that the plague, the more scientific minds, was caused by miasma, which is bad air. And so they wore the plague doctor mask with a long beak, and that was actually filled with flowers. Uh, so that it would purify, it was filled with flowers and herbs to purify the air they were breathing in. And so that was partially because of the miasma, but also because just the fucking stench of death. Yeah, it probably did smell pretty bad. Huh? But so, I mean, like, in a way, you're kind of right. Like, it's not bad air. But if you're around people with pneumonic plague, they are spreading it through the air via respiratory droplets with viable bacteria. Technically, it's bad. Yeah, it's, it's bad So air. there were some gross. scientific <laughs> minds who were attempting to figure things out, and we'll, we'll touch on there. them a little bit. So in northern and central Europe, supernatural beings were thought to be bringers of the plague, while people in southern Europe thought the plague attracted the supernatural beings. Mm, okay. 
And they did not explicitly use the word vampire, which is why I avoided it there. Uh, But these beliefs are what influenced the vampire. And so I will be using the word vampire just to simplify things because Mm -hmm. supernatural being is a fucking mouthful. (laughs) Vampire. Vampire. Battle scars. Or the undead. Battle scars. (laughs) For anyone who gets that. That Twilight fans. The (laughs) Twilight meme. (laughs) While ununderstood mass sickness and death is enough to get people to start blaming the supernatural, the idea that the undead were draining the life of the living was further propelled by people's lack of understanding of the decomposition process. Mm -hmm. Now we know that when someone has an infectious disease, those closest to them, like their family, are going to be the most at risk. So yeah, so like if you're sick, you go home and you live with like your typical nuclear family, let's say, so it's mom, dad, and like three siblings. You and know? seven of your siblings. <laughs> yeah, at this time probably. And so like those are gonna be the people most at risk. Uh-huh. Now we know that because we understand infectious disease. So maybe back then, mom gets the plague first, comes home, spreads it to her family members, but dies first and is then buried. And at this time, it was very common to place a shroud over the corpse. All of a sudden, little Billy gets sick, and then Susie. To the superstitious in this time period, it was thought that the mother may be undead and is now draining the life from the surviving family members or making them sick. The only way to be sure would be to exhume the body. Upon inspection, they would find that the body was in relatively good shape with no signs of putrefaction. What they did not know is that it is colder underground, so she would not decompose as bodies left out, which people at the time would be fairly accustomed to. So, like, in their head, you're not typically exhuming bodies, and in this time period, it's pretty common for people to just fucking die or be killed and they're left on the ground, and so you see how bodies decompose. Yeah, but if more you were commonly to, than now. Exactly, and so, like, if you had to exhume a body, like, in your head, you're oh, like, shit, oh... shit, that's fucking sus, you look normal as exactly, fuck. Exactly, <laughs> because in your head, you're like, yeah, like, I see people rot, that's what happens when you die, right? And you ain't rotten, bitch. And so when they exhume her, they see, like, oh, you haven't... You're not visibly rotting, but they don't realize because it's colder underground, or maybe at the time it's winter... Yeah and it's just colder in general, she's not going to decompose as fast. So the body hasn't shown any signs of decomposition, and that strike one. Damn. Debunked. (laughs) They would also see that her hair, nails, and teeth appear longer, suggesting that they were still growing. Teeth. And that she had developed fangs. What they did not know is that post-mortem, the skin and gums tighten, and gives the appearance of growth. Uh, so that's actually one of so those like, like interesting myths is like people think your hair and nails grow after death and they don't actually continue growing. It is because the your skin is shriveling. shrinking back. Interesting. And so it makes your nails look longer. Wait, I don't get it the It makes hair your part. teeth look longer and it makes your hair look longer. How be- the hair? Because you're, you're like literally like shrinking. Hmm. Interesting. So that's strike two. They would then find that red, blood-like fluid is leaking from her mouth, nose, and ears. They assume that she is literally leaking the blood of her victims after gorging herself. 
What they did not know is that purge fluid leaks from the orifices as the organs break down. While the body may be in pretty good shape physically, remember that the brain breaks down faster and can leak out of our face holes. So, like, oh even though the body looks God. pretty good, remember I said that, like, yeah. organs like the liver and the brain will break down much faster. And so, her, even oh. though her body looks pretty good, oh. her brain's already broken down, and that will be leaking out of her mouth and nose. And so, they saw that as she was feeding on somebody. Wow. People back then must have really had some mental issues. They were just eating this shit on a daily basis. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> And the icing on the cake, this purge fluid can leak out onto the burial shroud, causing it to sag into the mouth and tear on the teeth. Oh, no. Now it looks like she literally chewed her way through the burial shroud, and that's strike three. Yeah, it looks like she'd be eating this shit. This woman is now deemed a vampire, which is either literally or spiritually feeding on the surviving members of the family. So in some lore... They believe that they were literally coming out and, like, actually feeding on people. And then going back. Uh, in German lore, they believe that the masticating corpse, which was chewing on the burial shrouds and still living, they didn't think that it actually left the grave or anything. They uh -huh. believed it was, like, like chewing on and feeding from the life force spiritually. Okay, so now what, they would just, like, burn it? Yeah, so to end the undead's reign of terror, the heart would be pierced with a stake. Okay. At this time, many people still believed in the humors, which we discussed in mm -hmm. the last episode. In that physiological belief system, the blood was consumed by the body and replenished by food. Therefore, the body should be devoid of blood. However, upon being staked, blood would be released as well as natural gases, giving a slight gasp at the moment of second death. Oh, so it looked like that they were so so okay, one yeah okay, so okay. one when she got staked she bled obviously because we still have blood and we're still decomposing on the inside and like I said even though the body may be in good shape the liver breaks down super fast because it's yeah. full of all of these enzymes and so she would bleed upon being staked and then she would gasp from the release of air and gases from the bacteria. Oh wow. Yeah, and so to so them, sus. yeah, to them <laughs> in their in their mythology, yeah, they believe if, if you one. haven't eaten, you shouldn't have blood because they believe yeah. in the humors. And so it's like you just fucking gasped wow. and you have blood. Bitch, you be bleeding and shit. And on that note, oh, when I was doing my EMT certification, uh -huh. we would actually practice CPR and using the BVM, the bag valve mask mm -hmm. on cadavers. And it was pretty fucked up because if you – so if you do the BVM too hard and too fast, you actually bypass the lungs and don't put air in the lungs and you put air in the stomach. Oh, it's and, so, and so people who didn't know what they were doing, they would do it too hard and fast and they would fill the stomach with air and you could physically see – the cadaver stomach getting bigger and we would have to decompress it and push on his stomach and he would just be like oh, that's and true. just air it was just like this airy burp like this airy Whoa. marilyn monroe <laughs> burp would just like come out of this corpse marilyn monroe yeah because she always talks super airy did she yeah that was like her whole thing i gotta listen to her i don't think i've ever like, really happy birthday mr president. president i fucked you and then got killed and died yeah it was an inside job. The Secret oh, Service definitely. killed Marilyn Monroe. Probably. She knew too much. Poor thing. Oh. <laughs>
If only JFK didn't scream the nuclear launch codes every time he came. Oh, my God. What if he did? That was, like, his power thing, his power move. (laughs) Like, at the (laughs) moment of climax, he's just like, whiskey tango foxtrot. Like, (laughs) What if it was just, like, a singular number? (laughs) Two. Two. (laughs) I like that we both thought of the number two. I'm telling you, we're on one wavelength. We we did that earlier, but now with numbers, two we were... Two could be as bad as one. Do, 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 do. Wait, what was it that we said? We were on Shudder, and we both, like, sung... No, I don't said remember. something and at the same time, in the same sing-song voice, and I looked over, I was like, what the fuck? And now we don't even know what it was, but yeah. that's okay. Let's no, move okay. on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Let's keep going. <laughs> it's not that. I'm just hungry. Yeah, I am, too, a little bit. Ready? sweet while this example involved a buried body it also occurred in above ground tombs that housed multiple plague victims with people constantly dying the tomb would be constantly reopened and the crypt keeper would bear witness to all the sagging chewed up burial shrouds what but they weren't decomposition what (laughs) Well, that, well, that they weren't decomposing as quickly though, or they were because they were above ground. Yeah, so because so that's why it was just kind of like the burial shroud thing. Oh, not necessarily the fangs and all that. Yeah, they just weren't. The yeah, it, they would just go in and see that all of these like corpses had like chewed up burial shrouds. Oh, uh, they were like Jesus Christ, we have an infestation. <laughs> oh, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. What are we gonna do? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Whoa. Now, those who died that were fed upon by the vampire mm-hmm. or suspected of vampirism would be buried in special ways to ensure they did not cause above-ground mischief. <laughs> Sometimes the head of the deceased was removed and placed between their legs, or the head was left intact, but a stone or sand was placed in the mouth to prevent them from chewing. Poor people. Their poor bodies. They just want to be at peace and their bodies are getting all fucked up. And well, I thought that was kind of interesting where they were like, we'll take the head, but it's not like we're going to separate the body and head. We're not monsters. We'll put it between their legs. Because <laughs> that was still like a big Christian thing is like burying like everything together. Like I would have wanted someone to like put my hands together and made it look like I was holding my head. Like the headless horseman? Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> The bodies would even be placed face down in the coffin so that they would be disoriented and dig down instead of up. <laughs> Just make these fucking crazy tunnels. <laughs> Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> in especially paranoid communities, the living could be executed if suspected of vampirism. Oh. And so here is a picture of a oh. skull. From I believe this was from Italy, and they placed oh, a stone in its mouth so that it couldn't chew its way through the shroud and into uh, the land of the living. Good. That's a big piece of rock. I thought it was just like a little pebble stone kind of situation, like like a hand. Size. Oh yeah, no, that like fucking that's it, like, like a brick. It, yeah, like cracked her <laughs> jaw. You can like see the yeah. like. Oh, that's terrible. And then here is a picture of a body where they decapitated the head and placed it between the legs. But, I mean, they were already dead, so I guess that didn't, you know. Yeah, unless they executed you for vampirism. Yeah, that sucks. That sucks. I, I wonder how they made that transition from the already being dead to, like, oh, you're living. You're a vampire. I, I, I would assume, and I believe I read, it was also a big association with, like, witchcraft. Mm, yeah. So if they thought you were a witch, it's like, you're also a vampire. 
bitch. Yeah, everything just kind of meshed together back then. Yeah, that's true. So this is one of the earliest examples of this type of lore becoming widespread. However, as the Black Death came to an end, thanks to improved sanitation, the effort of doctors, which uh, they kind of quickly realized that uh, crowded living conditions was bad, and they actually made efforts to quarantine individuals who got sick. Oh, that's good. And possible herd immunity in conjunction with bacterial evolution. Again, we talked earlier about how it's more advantageous for pathogens to evolve toward the way of being less pathogenic, less lethal, because you're just going to kill all your food. Yeah, you want to live in something a little longer. But so as the Black Death subsided, these superstitious beliefs fell out of favor. Not cool anymore. You're not cool anymore. You're just yesterday. You're just a poser. Vampire, put a spit on you. Now we're about werewolves. <laughs> They're cool. But just as Europe's people and culture infiltrated the New World, so did its folklore and superstitions. In the 18th and 19th centuries, New England was in the midst of a terrible tuberculosis epidemic. Tuberculosis, also referred to as consumption, especially during that time, is caused by the bacteria Myocobacterium tuberculosis. Due to the high lipid content of the cell wall, often described as a waxy coating, this bacteria is impervious to gram staining. Mm, so you gotta do the acid fast then? Therefore, M. tuberculosis is identified via acid fast staining. Yes, you are correct. Yeah, you gotta like literally melt the fucking layer. And so here <laughs> is a picture of an acid fast stain. Mm-hmm. And again, this isn't going to mean a lot to a lot of people until we do a bacteriology episode. But I just want you to like really like take notice. Like, look how simple this organism is, and it's existed for thousands of years and fuck shit up. It's only one line away from being an arrow <laughs> that is pointing at. <laughs> Here you can see that tuberculosis is also a rod-shaped bacteria similar to Y. pestis. Tuberculosis is spread through the air, person to person, via respiratory droplet, so it is predominantly an upper respiratory infection, but it can spread to other parts of the body. Based on current research, it appears to be an obligate human pathogen and has been infecting us for a very long time. Tuberculosis can present itself in various forms, and one may cause specific skeletal deformities which we have found in skeletons of people that lived more than 4,000 years ago. Oh, I didn't know it did that. So that's how we know. Yeah, it's really interesting. We'll talk about it in a second. But that's, uh, that's how we know that it's been with us for a long time. It's been infecting us mm, for a long time. based on the skeleton. And we've tried to okay. look at bacteria that cause similar effects in other mammals. Mm-hmm. I know there was like this big research initiative to kind of see whether or not there's a bacteria that causes similar symptoms within bovine. And they're trying yeah. to see if bovine's the, cow, by the way. They were trying, yeah. They're trying to see if the earliest records we have of people dying from tuberculosis yeah. was around the same time that we domesticated cattle to see uh, if possibly their them. bacteria evolved to eventually to, infect us. Oh, that would totally make sense. But research has shown that it, like, our tuberculosis really is evolutionary distinct to us. Like, it really did co-evolve Damn. to infect specifically us. Like mosquitoes, they're really just here to keep us at bay. <laughs> it, even now, tuberculosis is 
still oh it's still a huge rampant. thing especially it's like, like in prison populations isn't it like number one or two in um like bacterial infection like killing us and stuff oh uh, possibly i'm not I know totally we talked sure about it that. it's up there for sure it's it's definitely still killing Still killing. You're still killing. Or so- oh, shit. Is so, that what it does? <laughs> so oh, Hippocrates <laughs> and Galen attempted to understand the condition that we now know was caused by this bacterium. And so it's been around for a long time. Our ancient Greco-Roman physicians we talked about last episode had talked about and wrote about a condition where we're like, yeah, that was tuberculosis. That's shark boy. And so, oh, that's <laughs> fucked up. But yeah, so here it's a drawing, by the way. Here, here, so. yeah, but here's his X-ray. No, but the, but the drawing's <laughs> obviously more dramatic. Yeah. Than the X-ray. Well, I tried to be nice and not pick someone. They do look like that. Oh, actually. Yeah, I didn't pick a real person. I picked this one. But oh, I thought it was like super dramatic. I'm so sorry. No, yeah. So this oh. is spinal tuberculosis. It so looks like he has even a though to even though M tuberculosis typically resides within the lungs, it's typically a pulmonary bacteria. Yeah. Um, it can leave the lungs and eventually get into the spinal column where the bacteria will huh. actually infect and kill the cells of our intervertebral discs. Oh, and that's so why it's doing that. when it eats away our intervertebral discs, our spine starts to essentially cave in on itself, causing like what is essentially like like Mia said, he looks like Shark Boy. Yeah, it's giving him almost like that like like a dorsal fin, fin yeah. But it's only the middle part. Is it not like other parts depending on well, which what, column? Well, what's interesting, though, is you notice, uh, and I didn't Always do enough research part. on it. So there's a lot of things in this episode where it's like bubonic plague's getting its own episode. Tuberculosis is getting its own episode. Like a lot of these things get in their own episode. So mm-hmm. I didn't do too much research on a lot of these things. But just based on my personal observation and thinking about polio and how like where it spreads to kind of from that point on, like it yeah. basically shuts off the nerves. Um So I'm kind of thinking if there's a connection between that's pretty close to where the lungs are. So if it travels across into the spinal column from the lungs, it kind of makes sense that that's where you would get the most dramatic kind of shit. The most dramatic fin. (laughs) (laughs) I also wonder if it's because your spine already has like a natural kind of curve to it. Yeah. And that's just maybe the weakest point because it's like the midway as well. So it's just kind of like a sad tree oh no but you know how like if a tree is like yeah. brittle and dying it will kind of like break it in the lost middle. its turbidity it's, it's just kind of sad looking similar to why pestis tuberculosis is also able to survive within resident macrophages where it can safely proliferate so i thought that was super interesting that oh, these the two shadows. different bacteria we'll do the same thing. that have been known to just fuck up mankind mm-hmm both are able to hide and proliferate within macrophages. They figured it out. They figured out how to do it. Tuberculosis uses a type 7 secretion system to introduce toxins that both kill and inhibit cell function. So this is how they Mm. both kill and evade the host immune system. And again, TB will get its own episode because it is... It's so fucking crazy. It's it's a very hard process to explain because... They're essentially inhibiting and causing the proliferation of, like, different cytokines and interferons, and this all comes together to essentially shut down your immune system so that they can proliferate. The tiny things, yeah, and there's a lot of coughing up of blood and stuff and just, like, drowning in your own fluids. It's pretty bad. As the bacteria wreaks havoc in your body, 
you will develop a bad cough, which will often yield blood, as Mia just mentioned, Mm -hmm. as well as fever, chills, weight loss, and loss of appetite. This dramatic loss of weight is why the disease was referred to as consumption. You heard it here, ladies, a new weight loss. Uh, Just get TB. TB You want that thigh gap for the summer? (laughs) The patient appeared to be consumed from within. Oh, God. Which really lends itself to, to like, vampires and stuff like that. Yeah, like they were bleeding you dry. They were eating your shit. Yeah, so the patients appeared to be consumed from within. Or perhaps, as some thought, consumed by a supernatural being. Once again, a misunderstanding of infectious disease led to people filling in the gaps with superstition. The most popular and well-documented instance of anti-vampire intervention in the United States occurred in Exeter, Rhode Island. That's not a real place. (laughs) (laughs) Rhode Island's barely a real place. It's so tiny. It's, yeah, it's like, it's literally an island. How big is it? Oh, it's is it like, like the size of San Antonio. It might bigger? be smaller. What? We gotta look it up later. I'm really curious. Oh, speaking of, last episode oh, I said leeches! we would let you know how many leeches we it took to kill a person, here. and Mia has an answer. There are, well, there's, okay, so to kill, and then there's to bleed dry. <laughs> yeah, the numbers, like, they vary, r- but vary wildly, but I mean, I like, mean, it doesn't really differentiate between if you're a kid or, like, a full-grown, like, obese yeah. man. Mm. So, to kill a human, you need 120 to 440. I guess it also just depends on, like, the size of the leech as well as the size of the human. But just get, like, a bucket full. <laughs> and then to bleed someone dry, which is interesting because the numbers kind of, like, meld. Because it, it's 300 to 1,100 leeches. And before it was 120 to 440. So I think if you have a solid 440, you could kill and bleed dry. That's a that's a solid number. So I'm going to go with 440 leeches. And that's her final answer. Yep, that's the final one. <laughs> <laughs> so Exeter, Rhode Island. Uh, it started in December of 1883 when Mary Eliza, uh-huh. the wife of George T. Brown, died of consumption. Damn. Seven months later, Brown's 20-year-old daughter... Mary Olive passed from consumption as well. A few years later, Brown's son, Edwin, was diagnosed with consumption. Soon after, Brown's 19-year-old daughter, Mercy, was also diagnosed with consumption, but she quickly died, leaving only Edwin. Huh. While Brown is documented as not really believing the old folklore, he was scared, confused, and being pressured by his friends and neighbors that did believe. So, okay, so they probably thought that he did it then, I'm assuming. But, okay, wait, no, you finished the story. But I was going to say, so did he ever get it? No. Wow, weird. He just li- didn't love his family enough. He never touched him. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah, he just stayed the fuck away from them. That That might be common. That might be why. Now, I'm going to read an excerpt from the March 17th 1892 issue of the Providence Journal. Okay. And this is from 1892. Columbus sailed the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) So this is an excerpt and there's a lot of dot, dot, dots and like not the whole thing. It's the gist of it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Four men unearthed the remains of Mrs. Brown. Some of the muscles and flesh still existed in a mummified state, but there were no signs of blood in the heart. The body of the first daughter, Mary Olive, 
was then taken out of the grave, but only a skeleton with a thick growth of hair remained. Oh, that's weird. (laughs) Finally, the body of Mercy, the second daughter, was removed from the tomb, where it had been placed till spring. The body was in a fairly well-preserved state. The heart and liver were removed, and in cutting open the heart, clotted and decomposed blood was found, which was what might be expected at that stage of decomposition. The liver showed no blood, though it was in a well-preserved state. These two organs were removed, and a fire being kindled in the cemetery, they were reduced to ashes, and the attendants seemed satisfied. So they just burned their shit? (laughs) The old superstition of the natives of Exeter, and also believed in other farming communities, is that so long as the heart contains blood, so long will any of the immediate family who are suffering from consumption continue to grow worse, but if the heart is burned, that the patient will get better. And to make the cure, certain the ashes of the heart and liver should be eaten by the person afflicted. Oh my god, did they make that kid? Poor Edwin was made to drink the ashes produced from the heart of his sister, but to no avail as he died two months later. Yeah. Well, now we know now, but that sucks. They just had to eat like a sister's ashes. Yeah, and it and it and it was the exact uh, same thing. Like it was in within New England, it was just this misunderstanding of the decomposition process. Just mm-hmm. not understand because again, even though uh by this point, Doctor Harvey had already shown uh, right, Doctor Harvey from the last episode, the doctor who discovered how blood circulates, he had already made uh, his yeah. discovery by this point, but. There were still people. Yeah, things moved slow, and a lot of people still believed in the humors. And so they still thought you shouldn't have any blood after you die. And so that was enough for them to say that she was a vampire. Uh, And so now we're just going to kind of wing what I call the honorable mention because I read a little bit that it somewhat applied and helped propel the vampire folklore Mm -hmm. but i'm not entirely convinced upon reading it i think it would be better suited for a werewolf episode because they even explicitly state in the article how to these slavic people that believed in this certain folklore which was associated with what we're about to talk about rabies uh that to them vampire and werewolf were kind of one and the same Mm -hmm. and i'm just kind of like they're talking about werewolves my guy like you're just really trying to shoehorn this into the vampire folklore for some reason (laughs) But so, yeah, so so rabies is a virus and it does cause people to become enraged. And it's actually very brilliant. Like like I said, a lot of these things are going to get their own episodes. Rabies is going to get their own episode. But it's transferred via the saliva or the blood of the infected animal. And rabies, a a rabies infects specifically mammals. Mm-hmm. And so it's pretty genius in that. It makes you aggressive. It makes you paranoid. It even makes it to where your jaw twitches and you're more bitey. And it makes you froth at the mouth and make you produce more saliva, thereby producing more viable virus for you to spread. And so there was a lot of tell within this Slavic community where, especially these more rural communities and villages, of people actually going insane and, like, ripping their families apart. But... Wow. Back then, and even today, a lot of people don't realize, so rabies isn't super prevalent in the United States, but rabies is actually a really big problem in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, because they got a lot of wild animals. They got a around. lot of wild dogs that run around, um, yeah. a lot of apes, and so uh, rabies is actually a still a really big deal in a lot of places. And so in these rural communities, 
especially these people who are farming and herding and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Wolves are a really big problem because they attack the livestock. And you could actually get rabies from cows that were attacked by rabid wolves and eating undercooked meat. Mm. So, like, it was actually very common for these people to uh, contract the rabies virus. But one thing I did find super interesting is that within the vampire lore, uh, it's not as talked about within our modern pop culture, but a huge part of it is that vampires cannot cross running water. And so one of the big ideas behind that is the fact that running water is thought to be sacred, uh, more pure, more holy because of the fact that it is moving water and it's not stagnant. There's less pathogens within it. And so people just knew don't drink from a lake, drink from the river. And so they just assumed it was because it was more pure because, again, they don't know what microbes are. (laughs) Yeah. And so it became this thing like a vampire can't cross running water because it's sacred. But what I found interesting about the relation between rabies and vampires is there is this strange thing with rabies where you develop a fear of water, actually. (laughs) That's a very common symptom where you are terrified of water, don't even want to go near it. People who contract rabies, you can't even give them a glass of water. Yeah, it's kind of weird, huh? And so I kind of thought that was neat and gave some semblance of credence to the connection between rabies and yeah, vampires. vampires in the sense where I was like, oh, whoa, like you're scared of water. Like you can't cross running water. Uh, the reason I kind of omitted it from this, though, is within the classic vampire lore, mm-hmm. they're not like super gory and vicious and attacky. Like it's always more sensual and like it's like these small bites where they suck the blood. It's not like this ripping apart. And so that's why I thought rabies would go better when uh, discussing werewolves, especially like the animalistic nature and all that, yeah, and like entropy and getting rabies from a wolf, if you were attacked more by a of wolf, like a wolf kind of situation. Yeah, that's more of like a modern thing where like vampires. Like the, I actually love like Thirty Days of Night. I love those vampires because those are straight up predators. Like they just rip people oh, apart. Oh, in Alaska, yeah, yeah. With that movie. Oh my and, god! But that like, one was yeah. Insane. So within vampire oh, lore, it's I just like not super common for like super violent vicious vampires that's not as yeah. much that's not as prevalent and so i didn't really think it made that much sense mm-hmm. no, personally that's, yeah yeah, yeah. no so when it gets its it. own um, episode we should talk about it yeah more. it'll get its own rabies episode and then it'll definitely be included in our future lycanthropy episode which sorry that's probably not coming out until next halloween yeah but it'll be something to look forward to for sure so anything else you want to talk about while we're talking about vampires anything fun not a big deal right now. I kind of want to watch that movie now. Which one? The one with the vampires. The 30, 30 days? No. Uh, it's on 30 30 Amazon days. Prime. All right. Looks like we're going to go watch a movie, folks. <laughs> That's all we have for this episode. Thank you for listening. Yes. Uh, I will probably drop a mini episode around the same time as this one, kind of continuing and capping off uh, our series on blood. Uh, Mia may be busy, so I may be doing it by myself, but hopefully... Uh, that doesn't bother too many of you. Hopefully I'll be around. Yeah, hopefully you'll be around, ideally. So, thank you all for listening. All pictures for this episode will be posted on our website, straighttothebrain.com. That's straight, the number two, the brain. Straighttothebrain.com. The pictures are located in the corresponding blog post for the episode. All sources used for this episode can also be found on the website under the sources tab. Follow us on at straight to brain on both Twitter and Instagram. That is straight the number two brain 
at Straight to Brain on both platforms. Come say hi. Please rate and review wherever you listen. Really helps out. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or episode ideas, you can email us at straighttobrain at gmail.com. Once again, that is straight, the number two, brain at gmail.com. As a disclaimer, I am not considered an expert on the topics that I cover. Goodbye and good luck in your endeavors. Have a spooky night. This has been Straight, straight to, to the, the Brain. brain.